Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast, or should I say Chris the Podcast. Uh, I'm the only person on this podcast not named Chris tonight. We have Chris Lydon and Chris Francis, and um, yeah, super awesome Cavs win tonight. Uh, how many were they down in the fourth quarter? I heard nine. Yeah, so it was really a mirror image of the night before, uh, where the Cavs were up nine points, and Gave up a 22-2 to two run, I believe. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're and right. then That's tonight... symmetry there. Yeah, tonight they clawed back and uh, beat a, an inferior um, Pelicans team. Uh, but they were without their best player, arguably, uh, or at least their most irreplaceable player, um, Darius Garland. And uh, Brandon Goodwin, huge night. As well as Kevin Love, and uh, we'll we'll get it into that in a minute. But just a super fun win, super gritty, right, guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a game they probably should have lost, to be honest. <laughs> uh, given the rebounding disparity, like it was something like, uh, wow, it was by fourteen. They got out rebounded by fourteen and still won the game. Uh, just incredible defense and timely buckets and timely plays. And uh, it's like uh, it was like the magic's back. You know what I mean? Like they just gritted out a win through just pure hustle and heart. You know, it was. Well, they were only re- out rebounded by five. So oh, they really? ended up oh, did- making up a big chunk what? of the deficit in the fourth quarter. Oh, okay. um, my, 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 my box scores from you. Shame on ESPN. So. Well, that's my box score is from statsdatanba.com. So, a lot of offensive rebounds in the uh, in the fourth quarter. So, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. So they they must have poured it on in the fourth. So it was just it was, the magic was back. Just they were making winning plays down the stretch, and yeah, you know, uh, New Orleans just didn't have that belief and collective uh, effort, you know, to close it out through the end. Yeah, and a monster night by Kevin Love, which you pointed out on the live thread. Kevin Love with yes, 17 right. and 11, MVP, three MVP. assists, MVP. and two big blocks. 
Um, That's right. And, 2016 Kevin Love. Yeah, exactly. And they uh, and a game high plus 17, and they really, really rode him down the stretch. I mean, he was the centerpiece yeah. of the offense down the stretch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, it's such a luxury, I mean, to just – you're going to get good offense anytime he touches the ball, basically. Like, you're going to get a high-level look, you know, whether it's a three ball, whether it's the foul shot, whether it's something inside, you know, or a pass, you know. The pass was working pretty good for him. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, I love watching him play offense. You know, we I think he's underutilized, uh, but, uh, you know, it's just awesome to see him play. I'm yeah, sorry. and – Minutes kind of came at the expense of Evan Mobley, who probably had a you know one of his rougher nights offensively, one of seven uh, from the field, uh, you know a few turnovers, three turnovers, just no, not three turnovers, one turnover. Had some nice blocks, had some nice defensive plays, but one of many Cavs who kind of got killed on the boards uh, by Jonas Valanciunas and uh, <laughs> and Josh Hart. Oh man! What about Jackson Hayes? I mean, I ja- and Jackson was, Hayes. Was, yeah, that was really the. I think that was the story about Mobley. Is his matchup was a guy who really has the same has the same type of length and athleticism to compete against him. You know? Yeah, I mean, I would honestly say Jackson Hayes probably more athletic than him. Just yeah, I would agree. Super springy. Yep. Uh, also, agree. also has two years of NBA conditioning ahead of. Uh, yep. Ahead of him, but. Jackson Hayes played a great game tonight, I thought. 19 points, seven boards, uh, three blocks, just a real – Yeah, and not just around the basket. You know, it was flashing out to the three-point line, uh, scoring on some pin downs, stuff like that. He he had a super nice game. Um, Yeah, and and the Cavs – or the – the Pelicans have a lot of Burley guys, Uh, Jackson Hayes not being one of them. But, you know, Valanchunas is just a – brick wall down there and then you've got uh willie hernan gomez uh who had a also had a big game uh he's a guy it's interesting that new orleans went went with uh big boy ball like Mm -hmm. they started valanchunas and jackson hayes normally hayes has played the five but it's it's funny that the trend is catching on man it's it's happening the the league is going big boy ball well, and the really interesting thing is the Cavs countered by kind of going small. Like they <laughs> yeah. had uh, Kev at the four, but then, you know, Chetty at the three and uh, Okoro and, uh, you know, either Mobley or Allen at the at the five. So they weren't running the big three lineups like they had been. Um, yeah, and I, think, and I the, think they needed that for the offense. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying the, the Pelicans, I think, kind of knew how short we were on perimeter shooting. Um, and it even showed up the way that they were playing uh, Love a little bit. Um, and not only the way they were playing against Love, but the way that we were having to use Love um, just a little bit inside of the line, like toward the elbow when we were running offensive sets, uh, especially in the first half, it was a little bit difficult for him to uh, find work on the outside. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and I, I, I give haven't... him a lot of credit for that. I haven't seen Jonas Valanciunas that far above the free throw line in a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> defensively, and I, th- I think that was good coaching on their part. Um, we know guys like Valanciunas uh, and Herman Gomez can Herman Gomez can uh, can give guys like Allen a little bit of of, uh, of trouble there. Uh, Allen yeah. works really well um, with that like sort of hook 
um, outside of the arc kind of game. Um, mm-hmm. But when he doesn't have the good outlet passes, you know, if there's just not good shooters. I mean, we saw that in the Detroit game, not to get ahead of ourselves, but, um, you know, if, if you've got great perimeter passing that's coming back out, you know, uh, from somebody like Allen or Mobley, and then it ends at Rajon Rondo, uh, you know, you're kind of in a pickle. And so they, they really capitalized on, on us missing those guys tonight. Yeah. And I will say, you know, it, it really was kind of a mirror image of two games. The Cavs got up nine on Detroit and really just kind of completely relaxed mentally. And then I just saw some of the the coaching I saw at the end of that game where relying way too much on Ray John Rondo to, uh, you know, do anything. And, and, you know, if I never see Ray John Rondo and – of course, I said this about Rubio, too, and maybe it's they just need to learn to play together. But I thought Rondo and Garland were terrible together, mainly because the Cavs didn't have any other shooters on the floor. And what uh, Detroit did was tilt their entire defense towards Garland and just dared Rondo to shoot. And he was clearly unwilling and un- incapable of, of making a shot. And I think it's fair to put some of that on Garland as well. I mean, he's still a young guy. He's made a huge leap in like three parts of his games this season. This his game rather, and like looking at um, his ability to also be the two uh, with you know Rubio. He had some time with now. It's a new person with Rondo. Like that's you know I haven't seen him uh, be as effective as I know he can be eventually in those sort of scenarios. Um, and it definitely it definitely came up uh, tonight, big time, with Garland out completely. Um, but even in the Detroit game, uh, you know, he wasn't quite onto that. But that was a trap game. I mean, I, it's a cliche, but they all acknowledged it, you know. Um, and whereas this game was more like a challenge of saying let's get let's give Garland a little bit of rest and go out and beat this team without him. And uh, yeah, they did it. They did, uh, Mr. Francis. Any big takeaway from? tonight's win or last night's loss that you feel like fills out a narrative that you want to uh you want to reinforce <laughs> is that my cue right there Nate? <laughs> that is definitely your cue <laughs> oh thank you thank you my friend oh man so yeah i mean the big takeaway is kobe altman kobe altman what are you doing buddy what are you doing where are you I know that you're filming YouTube videos. I know that you're writing. What, what, what was the comparison you made on the live thread? Oh yeah, he's on his Ken Burns bit. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, on, he's doing Aww. the Ken Burns thing. He's, Dear Agnes, I once again <laughs> leave to fight the front of the trade wars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean. Because here's what the thing, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves going into the Detroit game, but the, the thing is is that there has been a pattern of these games as of late, and really the pattern is the bench is having a much more erratic effort, you know, because they don't have that steadying point guard off the bench, you know what I mean? And so, and and, and we've lost at this point two out of our three isolation scores that we were relying upon this season in Rubio and Sexton. So, you know, two thirds of the isolation offense is gone. Now tonight it was all three guys with Darius Garland out. 
you know, and it's just where are we going to find a bucket is the question from our guards. And and I know where they, they tried to find it, and it was Chetty Osman isolating, and yeah, it was right. yeah, yeah. two very well, mixed results. Yeah, it was – I mean, honestly, I'll give Chetty credit. That's a, a great – it's a great point that you brought him up with, you know, with Chetty tonight, you know, 12 assists and one turnover. So, I mean, yeah, he couldn't make a bucket. I mean, his offense looked like you know, his shots were awful. Um, but, you know, he was I think he was actually running some functional offense for other guys. He was able to get other guys shots. So, I'll yeah. And I will give him credit as well as um Okoro and Goodwin credit when they drove, they drove Mm -hmm. really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that does is that sucks a defense in Mm -hmm. and, you know, makes a defense move because they were just, you know, careening towards the basket, Um, but under control and, and not taking charges. And although I think Chetty did Chetty have a charge, I can't remember, but he did. the The guy's feet weren't planted. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me it was, you know, Chetty, his his three-point shot wasn't there and he was forcing some shots, but also clearly they needed him to score and needed him to be effective and at least they were being aggressive and going hard to the basket, which opened things up for other people and opened up, yeah. uh, especially towards the end of the game, it's like a the offense, yeah. yeah, the offensive yep. rebound game for the Cavs. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, Brandon Goodwin was awesome. I think he's gotten shortchanged by JB. That's the other gripe, you know. Okay, Kobe's won. The second gripe is kind of piggybacking off of uh, what you've mentioned at times over the past two games is JB, man. Like, you you know, I think he's kind of yanking the chains of these young guys at the end of the bench with, you know, trying to be a hard ass to these guys. And it's like, Goodwin's earned like I feel like Goodwin has earned consistent minutes. Like not saying that he deserves to start, not saying he deserves 20 30 minutes, but he deserves like 10 to see if you can get a spark, you know, which he was tonight. Was he the leading scorer? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he was you a know? leading scorer for the Cavs and, you know, when we come back we're going to talk about it a little bit yeah. more. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon and Mr. Francis, you were going off about uh, <laughs> Mr. J.B. Right. Bickerstaff. You know, That's what was right. the difference between tonight's game and Sunday night's game? Well, I mean, clearly the – give credit to J.B. He actually pulled the plug on Rondo late, thank God, because he was a disaster yes. <laughs> uh, in Detroit and, um, you know, right, rightfully got pulled for good win down the stretch. Um, and uh, – as well, I think the second difference was, uh, you know, he tried to ride Dylan Windler last game, and it was just bad. And he, I think, rode with it too long. And also, Stevens didn't play for some weird reason. Like, I don't get how Stevens hasn't earned that five or ten minute spark role too. But he wasn't in the game in Detroit. And look at tonight. You know, he had some clutch plays down the stretch. You know, just garbage man plays. You know, he's like he's the dog. You know, he's he's the top dog of the team, and he he delivered some winning plays. And you know, that was the difference. You know, and thank God. Uh, you know, credit to JB that he adjusted. But you know, I, it just seems kind of like we're in game fifty. We know what we can expect from 
you know, Lamar Stevens. We know what we can expect from Goodwin. We know what we can expect from Windler and Wade. You know, we can we can expect some sparks from these guys. And, you know, it's just – I don't know what JB's doing. But, I mean, it worked tonight. So, thank God it worked tonight. So, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, you ain't wrong about Stevens. I uh, – five stocks tonight. And really? Every, wow. Yeah, three steals, Damn. two blocks, that's every single one. Yeah, that's an elite defensive playmaker. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he had a 11 points, three steals, two blocks, four boards, two assists. I mean, he was just, <laughs> just filling up the – yeah, <laughs> filling up the – yeah, 23 and 10. I mean, that that's an old school Adrian Griffin line. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> – yeah, I mean, he he really I I called him out a couple times during the game. Like even when they needed a bucket, like he just did that. I'm going to put my head down. Like he had the slow drive like twice that game where he was just like never stopped and he kept waiting for somebody to pick up the ball and they never did. So he just kept slow driving to the basket and once he gets down on the block and he's got his hip in you unless you're, you know, 6'10" You, you ain't going to yeah, stop that shot. Over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's over. Such a great finisher. Yeah. Uses yeah. his blank strength well. I think that, uh, that that JB criticism is especially fair with the Detroit game. Um, although, again, results not so bad. Um, you know, just in terms of the score and uh, the result. But uh, I'm going to offer for tonight, and I think a little bit of the season, um, you know, my own, my own letter, in defense of... JB Biggerstaff from the desk of Chris Lyon. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I love that. How, that's gonna be a bit now from the desk of. <laughs> I love those. I love those letters. I love my dearest so Penelope. <laughs> I must write to you about JB Biggerstaff. <laughs> oh, I was I was nerding out and analyzing his uh, his uh, letter so long it became an episode of the running PR series on YouTube. Like that was dope. We can talk about that later, but. <laughs> Uh, either way, I think like two things stand out that I wanted to talk about anyway. So this is a, a pretty decent segue. For one, tonight, looking at minutes, Rajon Rondo had 18 minutes played tonight, and that's the low, right? This is a non-garbage, you know, garbage time game. That's the low. Dean Wade was next with 19, and then uh, you're going up from there quite a bit. So this is a very balanced uh, game in terms of minutes, way more than Detroit. And I agree with the, the Goodwin and Steven stuff about that. But tonight he found that balance. And it brings me back to something that Estacio uh, Ruali, I'm butchering his name, I'm sure. I, I know the, who uh, you're talking about. Twitter yeah. stalwart. Uh, um, yeah, and, and really, great, really bright. Yeah, great analytics. Yeah, really, really bright guy. And breaks down um, film and breaks down trends and just yeah. super sharp guy. Yep. Probably the best guy uh, for Cavs stuff on there, to be completely for, honest. For, uh, for pure Cavs uh, stat nerdery, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's wonderful. Uh, but he was keeping track. And uh, as of this point in the season, 11 players have scored uh, more than 20 points or 20-plus points in a game for the Cavs this season. So tonight was the, the 11th in Brandon Goodwin. So there is, you know, there are some results, some data that shows that JB is maybe um, using, uh, well, obviously more than nine guys in rotations because of the lineup changes due to injury. But he's mixing a lot of guys in and he's getting a lot out of squads that they're putting together and trying to say, can we squeeze 90 to 115 points out of this lineup? Right. And he doesn't always hit. It's not he's not batting a thousand on that. 
um, and Detroit and uh, some of the earlier COVID losses, I think were, you know, he's the deck was stacked against him, but he brought out a squad tonight that uh, a rotation that in completion had really balanced scoring as well. Uh, the assists weren't balanced. That was pretty much just Chetty. I think the rest of the team had 15 assists and he had 12, right? Uh, but you got, I mean, you got 21 out of Brandon Goodwin and you got 14 out of Isaac Okoro, right? Those are your two lead guards. And those, that's basically a Garland Rubio stat line in terms of the scoring. Uh, it's not at all in terms of the assists, but if somebody like Chetty Osmond can step up and give you 12, then, you know, you're in business. You're not in great business, but you're in beating the Pelicans, uh, with 93 points business, I suppose. So got to give him a little credit for that. Yeah, uh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say... Oh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say the biggest credit I have to say, or the best move, I think, was starting Chetty. I think that was a move where I think people could have easily criticized, but actually it worked out, I think, in the in this game for tonight. Well, I, th- I think it worked out as the game progressed, but clearly... Rondo, Chetty, and Wade did not work, uh, especially to start the game. I mean, they went in and what was it, an 09 hole? Yeah, it was yeah. bad. It was really bad. It but was, do you I think mean, that was a vibes thing, Mr. Francis? Because I agree with you that giving him the start sort of gave him like the the psychological impetus to say you have to create during this. Yeah, game. yeah. I think and he pulled know, him pretty quick. Took- I mean, he gave him a quick hook, but it maybe set him off on the right path in terms of understanding what his role was going to have to be to win this basketball exactly. game. Exactly. No, that's a, that's a really great point and well said because what in in what proves your point I think is the 16 shots even though he only made 3. <laughs> You know, I mean he he could not fucking mind. He, he, I'm sorry. I guess you know. I'm gone blue. Yeah. This is a, the the PG thirteen rated chasm. I mean, he was. You only get six. one in PG thirteen, <laughs> and it can't be. Sexual, well, he was three so. for sixteen, so I feel like that almost I requires an f bomb, you know. But I mean, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, I think him just it's kind of what we discussed with Rubio about like the mystery of Rubio and why is he so effective even though he can't shoot for crap, and it's because he's just flowing in the offense. You know, he's just doing what's required of the offense and that's allowing the passing game to open up. And then, I mean, the 12 assists to one turnover is just amazing. I mean, Garland struggles to do that. You know what I mean? Like Garland hasn't been doing that until lately. So uh, kudos to Chetty and kudos to JB for that move. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, part of me thinks that uh, the Detroit game was a bit of an object lesson in that, you know, if you're going to like, he wasn't going to bail the team out uh, by you know completely re, you know, redoing the lineup down the stretch. This was the lineup. It was really up to the guys that were on the floor that gave it away, and he was putting it on them to uh, to bring it back. And maybe that was the whole issue was that you know he did want to teach him a lesson a little bit. I don't know if that's the case or not. But sure felt Ooh, like a little, little Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Phil Jackson was the master of that, the Zen master of that. Um, and and so I, I thought there was a little of that going on. I mean, because clearly Rondo didn't have it and it was just baffling why Chetty and Kevin Love were sitting down the stretch versus um, – Detroit and maybe the other side of that and Stevens, like you said, especially when uh, 
Uh, who was the guy that was eating them alive on the board? Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay. Well, Sadiq Bay or, or, and also, or, I guess, Cade, too. I mean, why wouldn't no, you try Cade on them, too, you know? Well, no, but it was also... Um, Stewart, Stewart had 12. Stewart, yeah, Isaiah yeah, Stewart, Stewart was yeah. just an offensive rebound machine. And, again, those really burly guys, they kind of struggle against. And that was one where I was like, you know, I would have much rather had love out there on Isaiah Stewart than I would have... You know Evan Mobley, and and maybe Honestly, the team point. came back to him and said, "Hey, play Kevin Love down the stretch here." You know, maybe he's looking for the team to, you know, do the mature thing and you know, kind of volunteer that. But I don't know. Uh, but he definitely adjusted tonight after what I thought was some some pretty lackluster coaching against Detroit. So I hope there was a reason for it. But you know, they kind of threw the teams the the team and their energy level under the bus, but. To me, when you're in a playoff race, you it's hard it's hard to go with the object lesson uh, defense for me because every single game kind of matters. But the Cavs, you know, made up some ground tonight. Miami lost, so ooh, you serious? Oh my gosh, yeah, ooh, that's a game. Miami got that means creamed. one game out. That means Miami that means one got game out. yeah. Miami oh, really? lost by Who twenty plus to Boston, and then of course the Sixers <sighs> beat the Grizzlies. So Boston, I think Boston's back on the come up. I think, you know, uh, all that discussion around Schroeder and it makes me think, you know, uh, actually I'll, I'll, I'll drop it. We'll save that for the next segment, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, anything we miss from a coaching standpoint, uh, Mr. Leiden that you want to touch on or anything in particular from this game or the other game? No, I just hope that, you know, Maybe after the uh, dust has settled, we'll uh, get some more insight into um, the way the coaching staff works. I know COVID in- impacts uh, media availability and all that stuff, but um, you know th- there are interesting choices. Um, I know in the last pod, I talked a little bit about like you know stuff going on behind the scenes where guys were earning you know minutes uh, through practice or through habits or things that the coaches saw. Um, there's a lot of coaching, I think, that happens in games uh, during seasons like this where they're they're trying specific things out. They're going to say like, OK, tonight you're not going to play, but tomorrow we know Lamar like we need you to match up with a so-and-so player. Um, and, you know, I, I'd like to know more about that. And I guess you don't always get that, but um, it would be really interesting uh, if we do get a little bit of insight into that because uh, – I agree. It's perplexing from from an outsider's point of view, from a fan's point of view sometimes. Um, and I would love to know more because I'm sure I would learn a ton um, about what they're doing. I, I think that's a great point. Um, and, and we don't really know. I think uh, Colin McGowan once said, we're all amateur documentarians. And it definitely feels <laughs> nice. like a good... Uh, a good way to describe this season. But I mean, there was some really, really nice moments in the last two games. I thought, uh, you know, Brandon Goodwin tonight really earned himself some minutes, just played with a ton of confidence. Um, as a scorer, not really a distributor, but just driving, uh, hitting open shots when the ball found him, uh, stepping into shots with confidence. He was three or four and the one from downtown and the one miss was a total heat check. That was probably ill-advised because he got caught on an ISO and thought he could – was it Jackson Hayes thought he could uh, hit him with the step back and clearly just Hayes had the length advantage on him and 
that was that was one of the more problematic uh, uh, possessions of the game. And but what I really liked about the Cavs down the stretch, and this happened when Rondo went out, was the Cavs really ran a deliberate offense with a clear goal: get the ball to Kevin Love, you know, work the mismatch, rotate the ball. Um, if uh, if that's not there, somebody flash at the free throw line, you know, swing it to the weak side it, or, you know, have Allen come up and run high pick and roll like they were running offense with options very deliberately, very in control, very few turnovers. And to me, that was actually one of the problems with Rondo is he was not doing that. Um, I was just really annoyed with him at the end of the first half where he waved Kevin Love out of the left post and into the uh, left corner, and then he drove and just got his shot obliterated by Jackson Hayes. And then the other – he had another play down the stretch where and – and this was like earlier in the fourth quarter. Allen set a high pick and roll, and he just decided he was going to deny the pick and go for the layup and – then he was at the cup with with a clean look and threw it out to the wing and Jackson Hayes picked it off again. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what he's doing, but, you know, kind of his freelancing and not running the offense the way it's designed to run really he's, – he's almost outthinking himself. And that's why Goodwin and Chetty were playing point guard down the stretch and he wasn't. So I was yeah. glad to see him get yanked for for kind of just <laughs> baffling play for a guy who should know better, to be honest. Well, I think that speaks to something that might be interesting to touch on uh, for, for some of our listeners, our dear listeners. Uh, because when you're talking about decision-making on a basketball court, you've got kind of two levels. Uh, just like in any other conflict, right? You've got strategic and tactical sort of decision-making that has to happen. Um, and the difference being that, you know, tactical comes down to uh, in a very classic basketball offense, you know, the ball's moving. And depending on your position and also where you are on the floor, if you receive the ball, you've got like a simplified package of decisions to make. Those are tactical, immediate decisions about whether you're going to shoot, whether you're going to pass, where you're going to pass it to, where you're going to dribble to. Like that's the basics, right? Uh, the strategic decision making is supposed to be the realm of, you know, certain of your talented guards. And uh, and certainly guys like Kevin Love and even Evan Mobley, who has a preternatural ability for strategic thinking. Um, Rondo obviously has demonstrated that ability, but yeah, I don't think he's found it quite yet uh, with this group. Whereas a guy like Chetty, and I think that's part of, of starting him tonight, a guy like Chetty can kind of understand the offense at that level as well. Uh, but in terms of the ball flying around, what, like once you're in the heat of the moment there, uh, Goodwin tonight decided to score. <laughs> And uh, you can't bash his tactical decision-making there because the guy got 21, right? Um, but we're still seeing that lack of of strategic playmaking um, out of our backup guards. Um, and that's that's obviously, you know, a huge part of what made Rubio so special this season. Um, and I think, you know, we, we didn't get to see whether Sexton could do that more uh, for the team. But uh, we saw a little bit of a lack of it Uh in these two games stretch or this two, uh, two game stretch, <laughs> excuse me, especially at a Rondo for sure. And, uh, when we come back, I got a, a couple things, you know, just to follow up on that. Welcome back to Cavs podcast. Uh, Chris Francis and I were just talking about how, you know, how did you describe it? We know things now. 
Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, it, it comes from the perspective of thinking about, you know, my rants about Kobe and everything. And, and it goes back to, you know, we're in game 51 or 52 now, and we know things about this team now. You know, we, we have the value of hindsight now and perspective about what's occurred over the majority of the season now. So yeah. And even, even 20 games ago, we didn't know whether these guys were for real or not. And now I kind of feel like we do. No, exactly. And, and we're now, you know, we've seen how this team functions without Sexton. So we got an answer about, you know, Sexton to a degree and with and without Sexton, we got an answer. We got answers about, Jared Allen, we got answers about Darius Garland, we got answers about Evan Mobley, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and now we're in a new Love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, you know, the value of Kevin Love and, and now it, what's weird is now that we're in, we're actually in a new phase because we're post Rubio, you know, so like we, we're seeing a new team now. We're just discovering and we're also comparing what's going on with the, with the Rubio less team versus what we saw prior to that, you know, which was the, you know, 40 games or so. So, uh, or, you know, a little less than 40 games. So it's just kind of weird and, and just, also illuminating how the perspective now that we have over these 50 games, you know, now it's kind of obvious, you know, going back to hate to beat the drum, but like Kobe, you know, this team needs a bucket getter. And, you know, thank God they, you know, thank God that JB went to Goodwin night. And also that's the thing, you know, like I think Goodwin kind of got it into his head a little bit. Like he's a scoring guard, you know, I think he was putting a little too much pressure on himself trying to find the passing that, you know, Rubio and Darius Garland provide at that position where Goodwin, what I loved about his game tonight is he just did what he knew. You know, he just, I'm going to go get some buckets because I know this team needs some buckets right now, you know, and he just went and did that, you know, without a lot of fanfare or like overthinking, you know, he just went and got some buckets and it was awesome, you know, and, you know, great coaching, you know, thanks to whoever got into his ear because he looked Great, you know, after some subpar uh, stretches uh, recently. Well, it was interesting because the end of the first half, he had played a pretty good stretch and then kind of played himself off the floor with uh, some some pretty bad, uh, pretty bad uh, decision making. Yeah, it was the turnovers. But one of the things that I noticed uh, even down the stretch, and it kind of goes to what you were talking about, was how Goodwin – it clearly doesn't see the pass before it's there. Like right. I, I saw it when I he's agree. in a pick and pop with love and, you know, love comes off the screen and he's immediately open, but then he Goodwin misses the read and doesn't know that love likes the ball on that quick kind of handoff fade where he can get right into a shot. Um, and then, you know, similar, uh, possession right around the same time saw Jared Allen flash to the free throw line and he's wide open and Goodwin just sits there and stares at him for two seconds before finally passing him the ball. But he's waiting so long that the defense has a chance to catch up. Um, But to his credit, he's still, he's making the right read. It's just taking him a second and that'll come. And the lack of hesitation on trying to score is what really was, like to you said, his saving grace tonight. So that was, you know, super fun. And I, I really, he's very explosive. Um, 
He really gets up and explodes the basket when he tries to finish, um, which I really like. Um, he had two or three plays where he was on the floor uh, trying to get the ball. But when he got called for the kickball, <laughs> when he was trying to scoop it up with his feet when he was laying on the ground. Another uh, you one. should be able to do that. I feel like that's a bad rule. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. Um, he just had like a lot of hustle plays that didn't necessarily result in turnovers or extra possessions, but really kind of set the tone. And if you got a guy off the end of the bench, they absolutely have to be doing that. And, you know, then the scoring is gravy after that. So it was really fun to see him make the most of his opportunity and kind of the mirror image of what we saw from Dylan Windler in the Detroit game, who was abjectly awful <laughs> in uh, in his very brief stint in the Detroit game where he played about four minutes and was minus eight uh, <sighs> with a turnover and over three. He was just brutal in that Detroit game. And, yeah, one of the reasons I thought they lost was just he was giving them nothing in the minutes that he was in there. So, I don't know. I mean, what, what? who are some of the guys that stood out, you know, positively and negatively in the last two games for you, Chris Leiden? Oh, man. I mean, it was really interesting to see uh, Evan Mobley's matchup tonight. Um, and he's really earned the ability to finally show me something that he needs to improve on. And I'll have to look back and, and really see uh, what Hayes and uh, the rest of the defense was able to do with him tonight. Um, but that stood out to me. Uh, and then even going back to, to the Detroit game, um, he had 18 points, nine rebounds. It wasn't like he had a bad game versus Detroit. Uh, but his minutes were a little bit high. I mean, it's 37 minutes. Um, you know, that's always something that I'm watching with Evan and how he's coming along. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I think Stevens, again, a guy that got eight minutes and barely showed up on the stat sheet uh, for the Detroit game, uh, came alive huge and played a, a really significant role in this game. So, again, some of those dynamics I think are really interesting. There's not a lot of players you can go to across both of these games um, and see anything either either consistent or that startling across both of them, right? Like, uh, this is a, an interesting tale of two games. Uh, we're lucky to have guys like Love um, and uh, Chetty Osmond to sort of lean on for a lot of this stuff where... Uh, where there starts to be a high level of variance in the, in the offensive production. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, honestly like that, that, uh, that Pistons game, I mean, they started out 15 up, uh, 15 zero, I think. And, uh, yeah. And it then, just looked like the Pistons weren't going to give them a game at all. Yeah. And then Kate Cunningham came, came alive and, uh, you know, in the, the Pistons did half, not, yeah, for yeah. sure. But the Pistons did not look like a crappy basketball team, even though the Cavs did play really poorly. Uh, whereas tonight, like the Pelicans looked like a bad team that kind of was matching up well against the Cavs, uh, especially as as uh, hello puppy as uh, as uh, scrappy with, as we had to play with with being down uh, two really important starters. Yeah, I mean those are are really good points. I I yeah, I mean Detroit. I think it just goes to show you the kind of. All three of these teams, the Cavs and the Pistons and the Pelicans, kind of the the high variance of young teams like this. They're going to have good nights. They're going to have bad nights. You know, we saw it with Dean Wade against uh, the Pistons with 14 points and like a lot of just really clutch plays, four or five from downtown. And then tonight he was kind of a non-factor. Yep. Um, 
you know, the, the guy that impressed me from a consistency standpoint, I actually thought uh, Isaac Okora was pretty darn good both games. Um, you know, really good scoring in transition, doesn't try and do too much, was getting to that corner three ball, trying to shoot it with confidence. Um, he only had nine points in the Detroit game, but then uh, tonight he had 14 points and, and three rebounds and just and two or two from downtown and two absolutely clutch free throws down the stretch, which was really Those ironic. Those were huge. Yeah, Those as bad huge. as the Cavs had been shooting in uh, several games, you know, I, I feel like uh, what were they – 16 to 25 against Detroit from the line. Like if they just shoot better from the line, that's probably a whole different game. Um, and they were enormous tonight from the line. So no, you're just you know, so adjustments right, made. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up a Coro cause uh, th- I, I think you're totally spot on. I think we're seeing him, seeing him establish himself, have some confidence in his game and like starting to see some more consistent production out of him. I think, you know, there's still, you know, uh, you know, I don't like the way he doesn't hit the boards enough. I, I, I still think he can hit the boards more, but I think the offensive rebounding has taken a tick up. I like, I, I think we're getting more of that from him. We're getting more assertiveness, you know, him driving to the cup and finishing him getting the runouts, you know, and, uh, I'm, I, you know, I, uh, shout out to Nomad on the uh, commentariat, uh, the CTV commentariat, uh, making the comparison of Okoro to Jimmy Butler. I thought that was a great comparison because in Jimmy Butler, you got a guy that impacts the game without shooting well. You know what I'm saying? And and it really made me think like that's a great model for Okoro to follow is how do you impact the game without necessarily being a great shooter? You know, and Jimmy does it. Jimmy does it as an, at an elite level. You know, he finds ways to impact the game at an elite level uh, without having that, you know, elite scoring ability, you know, and shooting ability. So, uh, I'm well, glad you and, brought him and up. I it's thought great. Okoro yeah. was the, the linchpin of, you know, kind of one of the things that was a real unheralded uh, part of the coaching tonight was something I haven't seen J.B. Bickerstaff do much this year, but came around tonight, and that is offense-defense offense, substitutions on a yeah, possession Yeah, you're starting basis. to find those yep, I, down I the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you saw that defensive lineup of Okoro. Okoro was the shortest <laughs> guy on the floor. Exactly. He's 6'7". Yeah. He's a 6'7", 220-pound dude. I mean – that, that's it was it was hit it was a and Coro, it was very difficult Chetty, for them to score. Yeah, Stevens, Mobley, Allen, all switchable, all more than six four, six five, you know, and uh, just tough as nails and smart. Like it's a lockdown. Yeah. Uh, actually, a buddy, uh, Chicago Bulls fan uh, and a uh, uh, stat nerd uh, that I'm friends with on Twitter ran some numbers about uh, after timeout defense. And to nobody's surprise, well, I guess to some people's surprise, uh, Cleveland has a elite after timeout defense uh, this season. So uh, JB Bickerstaff is getting it done, and the guys are getting it done. Most importantly, on defense, especially at a, at a timeout situations. Well, this is the third game of the year that I can remember where the opposing team 
had a chance to either win or tie at mm-hmm. the end of regulation, and the Cavs just absolutely, I mean, gave them no winnable shot. I mean, obviously. Shut down Julius Randle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just sh- a couple of games ago. Yeah, and well, okay, that's four because there was there was the one where Allen had the block uh, at the end of the game, and then mm-hmm. I know there was another one uh, that I can, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely just a total lockdown tonight. You know, down the stretch, the Cavs had uh, uh, who was it? Devonte Graham was the guy they kind of set up the play for, and the problem with Devonte Graham is he's a six foot guy who just shoots threes. <laughs> and the Cavs kind of knew it was coming and, yep. you know, switched Sit it. on the and jump then, shot, yep. And then the only kind of next option was Valanchunas, and he really just – they just shut his water off going to the basket. So it was mm-hmm. super nice to see. I mean – Yeah, he, and, 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 and honestly, they were getting beat up for a lot of the game. You know, yeah. uh, JV was beating them up. And then, you know, finally the fourth quarter turned the tide for them. They stuck with it, competed. Yeah. So I got to ask you guys a question – because it's driving me nuts. Why isn't JB using his challenge? Like, I feel like he went the entire <laughs> month of January without using a coach's challenge. And I, I want your take first, Chris Leiden. I think he's looking at his players and saying, uh, you guys need me to bail you out on some replay stuff? No. <laughs> bail yourselves out. Good luck. Have fun out there. Um, I think I think that's maybe his attitude about it. Um, and he's also pretty busy yelling at the refs, so he's got a lot on his plate. Uh, he's, he's been a vocal leader on the, uh, referee reform train. Um, and I know I sound flippant, but I really do a big part of it. Like he's just, he's, he's trying to, uh, simplify things by making the team play well. And he's not trying to, uh, to get you into that. I think they also probably have a, uh, a weird structure where, the uh, assistant coaches and stuff like, you know, I don't think there's a lot of guys in, in his ear talking about the replays and things like I just I think that's maybe not his style as uh, unsatisfying of an answer as that might be. Um, I think that's how they conduct themselves. And I think if there's something egregious late in game. He's that will make a difference at that point. He'll he'll do it. Um, but he's just not too worried about like, you know, first half stuff in a game that's uh, he doesn't believe should be close. Um, like in a game like this, I think he wants the team to win and he thinks that they should win. And if it's going to make a difference, he'll uh, he'll call it late. But other than that, he's going to let it be. I, I think that's a really good description of the way he coaches. And I, I hope that he does not do that in the playoffs uh, or in critical games that they use that as a tool. But I think you're absolutely right. He definitely wants... You know, I think when the guys do the the circle motion with their hand to do go to the replay, I think that drives him up the wall. Like he's all about, you know, no excuse mentality. You know, I I don't care if the ref called it that way. We're just going to accept that and move on. And so, it, I can't fault that mindset. It still kind of drives me nuts at times, especially when I feel like there's a a really high kind of expected value um, challenge that he can go for. You know, and, and a lot of times uh, a block charge is that way because, you know, you're taking free throws off the board a lot of times and, you know, replacing those with an offensive foul and an extra possession for your team. So that one that one kind of drives me nuts, but I understand why he's doing it. I just hope that's not the way he rolls the whole season. So and with that, uh, we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. And yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about was who has impressed you or not impressed you from uh, the Cavs' last few opponents. I mean, to me, the guy that I think stood out the most in the last two games from their opponents was uh, Kate Cunningham, was definitely didn't do much in the first half, but really had a fantastic effect on his whole team for uh, Detroit in the second half and, and really was kind of the head of the snake for them. What, what did you think of Kate Cunningham, and did he put a dent in Evan Mobley's Rookie of the Year candidacy uh, Sunday night, uh, Chris Lydon? Oh man, I'm gonna pass to uh, to Chris Francis on this one. I'm I'm uh, I'm looking up the stats right now. Oh, okay, <laughs> Mr. Francis. Uh, See, I was I gonna mean, go to Chris Lydon first, so you could come in with the with the the, the fiery <laughs> rebuttal. Yeah. Well, no, I yeah. thought that was actually I mean, very interesting. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm I'm thinking about it. No, I mean, uh, I 100% agree with you. Uh, Cade Cunningham definitely stood out in the Detroit game, uh, no question. Uh, the guy, well, what's funny about him is that there's uh, there's all these guys that I know and I talk to online that they were loving the slander. They were loving the Cade slander. You know, they were like, oh, I've been fooled. This guy's nothing, blah, 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 that, this, that, and the other. Well, slowly but surely, you know, you know, he, you know, the hot takes were, you know, possibly an overreaction. And now, lo and behold, game 50, you know, now he's starting to do. I mean, the games that I saw of him, he was the clear, he's clearly the best player on the team. Like, there's not even a question, you know. Oh, yeah, for with, sure. He's playing with uh, guys who are just simply incapable, I guess, of being consistent for him, you know. And so uh, and so he's doing a magnificent job. And, you, you know, has he put a dent in? Yeah, I have to say, yeah, because he's going to put on numbers now. Like, he, what did he did? He do a triple double. Yeah, you know? he did. Uh, yeah, I think 17, 10, and 10. Yeah. 19, so, but 19 10, 10, 10. 19, 10, 17 points in the second half. Yeah, yeah. so he's putting up numbers. He, You know, him and his team could do a little second half run, you know, just kind of, you know, pick off some nice wins here and there in the second half of the season. And if he puts up some numbers, you know, he's going to – I mean, like uh, – and, and the thing about Mobley is, is, like, he's really hit the wall. I mean, like, in my opinion, you know, I think – I think just he's struggling right now with his offense. Like, and I, I don't know what the, I don't know how to solve it. I know how I said I would solve it, you know, which is point Mobley, I think is the obvious answer. But, you know, JB doesn't want to go down that path. But, uh, but he seems more willing recently, I, I will say. Um, you know, but I think Mobley's really struggling on offense and it seems like Cade's really coming on. So, you know, and, you know, Scotty Barnes has kind of fell off a little bit, I'd say. You know, you hear his name less, you know, and I think he's kind of hit his rookie wall as well. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think Cade's, you know, I, I liked him. You know, he was my number one guy, you know, uh, when we did our draft saga, you know, over the summer. And uh, I never really wavered in that belief because I believe in his game. And what you what we saw again, you know, in the Detroit game was it, it was interesting. He had a Rubio type game, is who he reminded me of. Is like he took the shots that were there, and he didn't necessarily shoot a great percentage, 
but he took the shots that were there and he made plays for his teammates and he was clutch. So, you know, like it, I, I just I have a supreme belief in his playmaking abilities and his abilities to control a game. So, yeah, I, I thought, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me is he's so incredibly smooth. Mm-hmm. Like there is just no wasted motion. Economy. Yep. He he is not an explosive player to me. He's right. just smooth. And mm-hmm. you know, he's long. Spe- and especially that jump shot. Yeah. Like that and jump it, shot, yeah. he gets into that. The release looks perfect. Um I, I feel like his release almost looks better than Clay Thompson, which is super high praise. Um you know, he just it's a form perfect jump shot. He looks like a vintage, like he reminds me of R- Mitch Richmond, the way he shoots the basketball. I mean, he's just, and he doesn't make a misstep. He's always where he needs to be. He doesn't have a real herky jerky game. Um, it's just super smooth and really smart. He's exactly the player that he was described in the draft. He's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's a really good athlete. Um, He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism, but, man, is he a good basketball player. And Mm -hmm. that is, like, in a way, he reminds me a little bit of Luca. that way. Um, Yeah. I was going to say, you know, give you a throwback name. You know he reminds me of a little bit is Penny Hardaway. I I, – that's that's not the worst comp. The guy that they were just flashing on the screen, uh, to me, uh, Grant Hill – is another oh, yeah, guy that's that another one. Yeah, I like that. I mean, one obviously, a, yeah. a, a couple inches shorter, but Greg no, no, Hill I is, think they're both. I think they're both legit six eight. To too. Yeah, yeah, that's a great comp, though. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with Anthony yeah. Hardaway. Is like, just he has the ability to score with his length, you know, at the point guard position, and he could see over the defense, make those passes. He's got some flashy passes in. He rebounds and and he's and he's like you said he's his basketball IQ is through the roof you know he just yeah you, you know he he just well, knows what's going on level. the court yep exactly you know yeah. and I, and I think one of the things that's really borne out over the last several years of the draft is that skill level matters more long term than pure athleticism I mean we're seeing it this year with Jalen Green. Versus Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley. It's just, you know, skill level, basketball IQ, ability to play the game matters so much more than raw athleticism. And it's that, you know, it's the the mental acuity is, is what and the speed at which your mind works when you're on a basketball court and how coordinated you are matters so much more than how high you can jump. Um, it, it, it's really interesting to see. Uh, anybody else stand out for either of you guys? Chris, you got one. I'm I'm still thinking about Cade because I you know I haven't watched okay, him play yeah, a lot keep this going, season, man. but but I was looking at him up and and you know I think there's an interesting thing where these guys, especially guards, come into the league and they have that much talent and development um, behind them already, and they're on a bad team, right? And they take over and uh, they do uh, what I think Colin Sexton did early in, earlier in his career is sort of take over on a bad team and get yours. And he's sort of not done that, which I think bodes well actually for his development um, to kind of come on online a little bit later. The biggest thing that stood out to me about Cade Cunningham is um, how much he seems to have aged uh, since college. Um, my man looks 30. 
Uh, and he, yeah, yeah he does. He's he does. Very, he has an wow. old man game to him. Yeah. And he's, and he's <laughs> like a, he's very polished physically. And I, I always hate like getting into this sort of, uh, especially like the NFL draft language of like, uh, how big is, how big is this guy's yams kind of talk? It's always weird, but like, uh, dude is, you know, contrast him to somebody like Garland or somebody like Mobley, uh, you know, who are all roughly the same age. Um, and you can see the difference that just is natural with the way that people grow and finish growing. Um, and he's, he's really ahead on that, on that curve. Um, and so I think with this, it's been a slow process of learning the game. We're starting to see it kind of come online now in the back half of, uh, of their season. And, um, yeah, he was really, he was very impressive, uh, uh, very impressive to me, um, on a team that was, there was some good production in that game. I mean, uh, Sadiq Bay um, and Frank Jackson, who would be my other player, I, I suppose, from the Pistons. Like, I really like Frank Jackson's game. And that, that brings me back to scouting him not so long ago uh, as a guy I really liked. But, uh, yeah, Kate's, Kate's good. He's going to be really good. And uh, it'll be up to them to keep up the process of, uh, of of letting him develop naturally on the court. Yeah, and the a little bit of the disappointing thing to me was uh, for New Orleans – Man, only Jackson Hayes stood out to me. The rest of that team, uh, just like Alexander Nickel Walker, I, I don't know what that guy's doing. Um, <laughs> he had that one play where he threw it to Dean Wade as he was getting off the up off the bench to check in, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, "What? What are you doing?" Like he just like the I just feel like they've wasted so many draft picks. And kind of don't really have a plan, and there's nobody on that team that. And they gave sp- away Lonzo Ball. Yeah, and you know what? Josh Hart did not impress me tonight. He he no. played like just a guy. You know what I mean? Well, he is. That's that's. Of who course, he is. he's playing out of position, and why he's guarding Kevin Love, I have no idea. But yeah, yeah. It, it I mean, was he's definitely a, he, that's that, he's a hustle guy. I like him because you know I like my Villanova boys. You know I, I respect yeah. the, that crew over there and in their coaching and everything. But but yeah, he's just a guy, you know. And I, I agree with you 100. percent Like Jackson Hayes, they, I they found something unleashing him at the four. They really did. Like yeah. they they owe they owe JB Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman a check because I don't think they would have done that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they were inspired enough to do that until they saw, you know, our tower city. So, uh, they, they, they ought to cut the check to that. But I mean, wow, Jackson Hayes at the four. Whew. I think that, I mean, yeah. that yeah. if you want to say why Mobley struggled. The, oh, I, I think that's a hundred percent. I mean, he's yeah. just not used to having that kind of length and athleticism on him. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that'll be really interesting too, because I mean, we got we got to think about our our guy here, uh, Mr. Griffin, and uh, what <laughs> what are they doing down here? And uh, on the first podcast that I came on to Cavs uh, Cavs the podcast, I remember getting put on the spot to give a hot take, and I talked about uh, thinking about the future of Zion and whether we'd see him again this season, and whether this iteration of the Pelicans was going to survive this season. And uh, they have a lot of work to do because they've got. You know, they remind me a little bit of like the the rebuilding 76ers when they were sort of, uh, you know, stuck uh, with the season. Yeah, like they're doing the process thing, but they had like season long injuries. Um, you know, they had a really mismatched uh, on court product 
in terms of what the lineups looked like. like I mean, Jackson Hayes is good. Uh, Valanciunas is Valanciunas. He looks like he's ready to invade a former Soviet bloc country at any point. Um, <laughs> or, or hold off an invasion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, defend one off. Uh, Devontae Graham can shoot. You know, uh, they have like some kind of interesting pieces coming off. Like, I think, you know, Gary Clark is an interesting guy. He had a terrible game, but, you know, he's an interesting guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like it's not happening. I mean, they've got 18 wins, but like, whew, I don't know what the, I don't know what the the future is going to hold, and it might just be a situation. Yeah, that's kind of that's the interesting thing about them. No, that's that's funny you brought that up because the interesting thing about them is, is that they went on like a 0 for 12 streak at the beginning of the season or something, or 0 for 10 or something, or two for 12, or it was just something horrendous at the beginning of the season. But since that point, they went basically about 500. And I guess that coincides with uh, the return of uh, Brandon Ingram. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like they, I mean, it's funny you bring up Zion. I mean, like I think Zion wants out. I mean, like I can't. I think what's transpired so far this so far this season, it can't be more clear that like Zion's trying to find a way out of town. I don't know what, how you guys feel, but well, I think he's fine trying to find a way to the Krispy Kreme. But <laughs> well, that was my well, hot well, take. That's the, that's that's the way out of town. Is yeah, you know. I, I, I <laughs> guess, that was my that was my super hot take earlier on was that he would uh, be off the team somehow uh, by the off season. And uh, it's, it seemed a little insane at the time, but it's Ooh, no. it's, uh, it's trending in that direction. I love it. The agenda is stronger than ever. And what I was sort of thinking, too, is this front, af- front office might go into panic mode because they've screwed this up, uh, you know, and, and if, if they don't want to get fired, they might they might get a little crazy. So I don't know. Well, they totally saying. botched the offseason. There's no question about that, in my opinion. It was a disaster. Yeah. The whole so, the Lonzo yeah. Ball thing. Yeah. You don't Although, get you don't get two off seasons to botch. Well, and Stephen Adams, Stephen Adams is now balling out for Memphis, and it looks like Memphis won that trade. Even though it, at the outset everybody was like, "What are you doing?" I, I don't know. I mean, it it, but it's also the people they put in those positions. It's that they, they just haven't the people. They're not maximizing the talent of the guys they get ever. It feels like. I mean, Brandon Ingram might be the only example of that. But, I mean, did anybody have a doubt that, you know, Steven Adams was going to start playing better when he got to a situation where the people he's around know what they're doing, like in Memphis? <laughs> I mean, I was just watching Memphis highlights. God, Memphis is the smartest team in the league. I mean, they got Desmond Bain scored 34 tonight. He was the 30th pick of the draft, I mean, two years ago. I mean, it's just they're just outthinking everybody. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about all this and more when we come back in the second hour of Cavs Podcast. Welcome to the second hour of Cavs Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Chris Leiden. And uh, we're, we're going to talk a little All-Star. You know, for the first time in, you know, four years, five years, the Cavs have legit shots at getting at least two guys into the All-Star game and in a fairly crowded field, but I feel like because the All-Star game's in Cleveland, they're going to get at least one. I would be shocked if they didn't get at least one. Uh, and the the growing, you know, the money consensus is that it'll probably be Jared Allen. Um, but uh, just to recap, uh, you know, they've named the five starters, Giannis, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, and Trey Young, which we're all annoyed because DeMar DeRozan's been playing in the front court all season. 
But uh, Trey but, Young, boo! What boo! Yeah, you had true love and you threw it away. That's yeah. right. You had Kevin Love and you threw it away. That's right. Um, <laughs> boom. I mean, to me, it's not a murderer's row in the East backcourt of guys that you could name. Um, I mean, to me, probably the most deserving guy is uh, is Zach Levine, uh, yeah. who's you know putting up another monster year of a, a near. He's he's flirting around the the Larry Bird fifty forty ninety. Uh, he's not quite there. Damn, but two years in a row. Yeah, he he's a little below that, but uh, and then the other guy, obviously Lamelo Ball for Chicago, but he's probably not going to be healthy by then. Is he injured? So I didn't realize he, he is. Yeah, he had surgery. What? Oh, Lamelo, not La- no. I'm thinking Lonzo. I'm sorry, because uh, we were just okay. talking Lonzo for yeah, no, yeah, La- yeah, yeah. Lamelo. I was like, oh man, no, Lamelo. Lamelo's healthy. Shan- shambles. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like he's a big fan favorite, so he'll probably make it. Um, yeah. I mean, and, I love yeah. watching him, so I can understand. Yeah, and so there's seven reserves um, with three front uh, – two guards, three front, card res- front court reserves, and two wild card choices that can come from any position. So I don't know. Give me – I'm going to give you my three – uh, I'm going to give you my three front court guys. Um, obviously to me, Jared Allen leads my front court list. Um, you know, if you look at all the guys that are eligible, uh, the only guy that probably beats him out is Jimmy Butler. Um, so I'll pick Jared Allen and Jimmy Butler and probably Chris Middleton over Sabonis and Siakam and, and Tatum. Um, what what do you guys got for your three front court guys? Um, Chris Francis. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna bite off you. I'm definitely taking Allen and Butler in the front court. That that's good. Um, I think I'll take because I mean I feel like I gotta rep Tatum because he's a dookie, you know. And oh, so, God. Uh, yeah. Why do we even have you on this podcast? Exactly. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got to do something to controversy sells, Nate. Come yeah, on. that's true. Yeah, that's true. Like here. you can't be perfect. You you have <laughs> to have a flaw. It makes you more endearing. That's right. <laughs> and that that flaw will be Duke fandom. So <sighs> Jason Tatum, baby. You know what's funny is growing up, I was a huge Duke fan. Um, yeah. Until Bobby I Herman, got out baby. of college. Well, part of it was Carlos Boozer because Carlos Boozer oh, yeah, uh, right, from Alaska. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I saw Duke play since. Oh, Trajan Langdon. Trajan Langdon, I didn't yeah. Realize. Yeah. He's from my hometown. Yeah. Are you serious? I, wow. Yeah. I saw Duke play since he um, in the uh, Great Alaska Shootout. Oh, uh, gosh. I was in college <laughs> wow. and it was. Uh, it was Kenyon Martin versus uh, Avery. Oh, right. Uh, Kenyon Martin versus like that Grant Hill and Shane Battier team. Oh, yeah. They were so much oh, yeah. fun. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe Elton Brand. It might have been that. Might have been. Yeah, that. it was Elton Brand. That's who it yep. was. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So, there you anyway. go. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I had to poop the party. Derailed you there. Who, who do you got for the front court there, Mr. Leiden? You know, I'm trying to think about who they'll actually pick. And uh, I think there's some politics that go into this. So, uh, oh, for sure. 
my front court picks are going to be um, will maybe make more sense when I make the the guard picks. But um, I'm going to go with Jared Allen. I think he's he's a shoe in on this list. Um, I like the idea of uh, Jimmy Butler making this list, um, and then I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam Blech. out of Toronto. Ooh, spicy. Uh, yeah, I, th- spicy. I think. I think they're going to balance that out. I think they're going to take him in the front court. Uh, I think that's like that's kind of a coachy thing to do. Um, looking at the rest of the list in terms of what he gives you on that roster, uh, you know, again, it's it's a theoretical roster, right? <laughs> so it's not like a real yeah. thing. But yeah. I, but I think that I think that they'll pay him uh, homage. He's been he's been on a hot streak recently, and I think the recency bias will play into there too. Yeah, and then to me, it's really tough when it gets to guards. Because uh, you, to me, there's a lot more good guards than there are front court players in the East, and uh, you only get to pick two. Obviously, you can pick a couple wild cards, but you know, for me, it's really hard not to pick Zach Levine. Uh, just you know, twenty five, five, and four, um, flirting, flirting with that really good line, um, and then of course, it really falls off from there. Uh, I don't love the season that Harden is having, uh, but it's hard to argue with the guy that's averaging 23, 8, and 10, um, <laughs> just from a pure stat standpoint. But, God, I hate Harden. I don't know. And they're winning, about too. There. Although, yeah, although, they're winning. Yeah, although they're behind us now, I think. Yeah, but I, I don't think there's any way he gets left off this team, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, of, course. Um, of course. You know, Brad Beal... A uh, good player on a bad team right now, or a mediocre team. Um, he he probably gets the uh, the third spot for me. I'm not a huge Lamelo fan. I don't think he you know does it at a high enough efficiency. But um, m- maybe he'll be one of my wild cards. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take those three, Harden and. I think there's only two spots. No, oh, you're right. It's Harden and Levine for me. Then there you go. And I'm I'm gonna go. Yeah, I mean, I I have to agree. I mean, that's that's well. You know what? No, f it. it it's gonna be Garland. Garland <laughs> deserves it more than. I mean, because it we got to reward winning here. I feel oh, like I'm, there's I'm enough, with you. I feel like there's enough of a margin between Charlotte and and Cleveland and who's driving the winning that Garland gets it. So Harden and Garland for me, you know. Oh, nice. Well, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick uh Garland with one of my uh wild cards. What oh, what yeah. about you? What about you, Mr. Yeah. Lane? I'm going uh, I I'm agreeing with you. I concur. I think it's uh Levine Harden and Levine. Yeah, and Harden. Okay. And the, then for, for my the two. my two wild cards, I'm I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go I'm going to go LaMelo and Garland. Just because I want the, it, they just make it the most fun. Absolutely, it's, it's always 100%. better. It's always better in an All Star game when you have just really fun exciting, passers. creative passers. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's why I'll go Lamelo, and uh, ooh, I'm gonna go Lamelo and Mobley. F it. Yeah, people. The people <laughs> want to see Mobley. The people want to see Mobley. What can I say? <laughs> nice. What what about you? And your two uh, wild cards? You know, I do feel like uh, Fred Van Fleet gets uh, gets screwed here and yeah. uh, doesn't make it. Uh, I really so you're do think pick Van Vliet? 
No, I, I think he doesn't make it on this. Oh. I think it's I think it's well on my list it would be Ball. Um I think there it'd be Lamelo. Um and I think it's probably gonna be another front court player, but if it was up to me, of course I would take Darius Garland at that last spot. And then everything's gonna get bumped up, I suppose, due to injury, which will be a whole nother thing. But uh Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Ball makes it that as a bit of a, you know, the the marketing is strong with this one, uh MBA push from the coaches. Nice, nice. Um, so to me, I think the other thing that you could see is maybe Garland not make it, but make the three point contest, um, right. which would be right. fun. I, I definitely think there will be, even if, even if only Cavs only get one all-star, I feel like Garland could get a shot at the, uh, at, at the three point contest. Yeah. hundred percent. So, or, and, and, or love. Love, love could actually definitely be in the three-point contest. He deserves he it. He could. But, yeah. you know, it was yeah. interesting. Uh, Shannon Fry was on a podcast. He was on uh, Chase Down recently. He was talking about how uh, he should take the time off and go relax instead yeah. of doing a three-point because somebody else will be represented uh, most likely. I could see him doing that. But I could see them uh, taking Garland in the back door there or the skills challenge if he doesn't make it onto the reserves. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say for sure. Um so we've got uh, the West, and we don't know who's coaching in the East. It's it's probably going to be either – it's probably going to be uh, – what's his name? Billy Donovan, if uh, Chicago holds on to the top record. Yeah, or uh, Spo. Or Spo, yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Cavs have any chance of catching them, unfortunately. No, no, they um, do. I mean, they're only a game out. I think they the Heat lost, right? So they did, but the Heat kind of have to. The problem is, is the Cavs have played more games and have more losses. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. The, the loss yeah. column is higher. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So, but the let's move on to the West. So we've got. Uh, I think we had the front court. I'm gonna go. God, that front court is. Kind of crappy. Yep. Um, I'm going to go Cat because I love Cat, and I I really think what's going on with uh, with Minnesota is super fun. Um, and I'm going to go go Bear. Um, although that's going to be weird because it's going to be like five guys down on the injury chart, and you know, does Anthony Davis really want to play in an All Star game? Because he'll probably get named if it it drops down to him, but you know, just for pure name recognition, I'm going to go Cat and go Bear. Kind of opposite ends of the front court spectrum. Uh, what about you guys? I'm going to go. I'll go Cat. Yeah, I mean, the guy's shooting 41% from three. It's yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he's have, he's like the modern day Kevin Love. He really is. Um, the damn, that's a great question for the second one. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna be an ultimate homer and go with Isaiah Hard Rock Hartenstein. <laughs> Shout out to Hard wow. Rock Baby. Wow, that the, was the Hard Rock agenda will never cease. N- no stats, all star. <laughs> that's right. Well, he does have the stats. It's but it's the on off stats. That's right. Shout out to shout out to EG one forty four whatever hundred. Uh, who discovered Isaiah Hartenstein? Shout out to him. So that that one was for you. Okay. What about you for the front court? I agree about Cat. And then uh, just looking at the player rankings, I have a feeling about uh, 
Mr. Ayton getting in. He was sixth in player ranking for the front court in the West. Yeah, and no, it, that, uh, that feels fair to me. Like, yeah. they're so good. How can you not reward that guy? He's That's literally true. one of the best three. And yeah. that team's far and away been the best. I mean, that team deserves three All-Stars yeah, as good they as they've been. Yep. They so, so, yeah, he's my second. Yeah, and then, well done. you know, then we've got the, the backcourt is almost silly uh, how much talent there is. Uh, but to me, unfortunately, you kind of have to give it to Chris Paul and Devin Booker for the same reasons that we just talked about. And then I'm just going to throw in my my wild cards. Obviously, Donkic, and then um, and then I'm going to go Anthony Edwards. I'm going to go Ant because he's just been super fun in Minnesota. So, Damn, those are, those are good ones. Well, although, uh, no, no, no. Ah, I can't go Ant. I got to go um, – I got to go base eight, triple, double. Um, <laughs> oh, what's his name? Uh, from the Spurs. Deontay Murray. DeJounte Murray. Yeah, I got to go DeJounte Murray over Ant. Base eight, triple, double. Wow. Controversy. Controversy. <laughs> I'll have to go. Uh, so two guards would be. Um, I'm going to have to go Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell. Um, and then wild cards, I'll go Luca and Devin Booker. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of scratch, yeah. you know, kind of boring. Sorry. No, I, I can't even split it out into how they're formally picked. Oh, you get in terms three frontcourt players. That's ridiculous. We all skipped a frontcourt player. Oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, whoops. But I'll, I'll add uh, I'll add eight into mine for sure. And although I feel like Donkic should maybe be a frontcourt player. But yeah. How hard. is he not a – yeah. Like I feel like he should be the small forward. So Yeah, but yeah. whatever. Well, I think in terms of even adding that other guy, I mean, there's, there's, if it's, if it's three, no matter what, plus the wild cards, that could change things. But I do, I do feel like in general, Luca, Devin, um, Deontay Murray and Donovan Mitchell end up doing it. Uh, but yeah. it's hard to imagine them keeping Chris Paul out. So we'll see. No, I don't think they'll keep Chris Paul out. Ma- mainly because I think he would make everyone's life miserable. And then I think Mitchell drops. Yeah, I think. And then Mitchell drops out. I, I, I don't even know if we know Mitchell's going to be healthy or not. Yeah, I didn't Is, realize he that right he now? might be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and you guys heard about Angles. Uh, yeah, that's brutal. That yeah. is brutal. Like, uh, I don't know I, if you saw Ricky Rubio had a tweet to him today. Just as like, uh, I got you, bro. We're going to rehab through this together. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah, I mean, that's, that wasn't the exact quote, but it was just kind of the, the sentiment. Yeah, so. of course. Rubio. Rubio always with the assist right there. Yeah. Well, they were teammates for a couple of years in Utah. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm super happy for Monty Williams, who I think has been the best coach of the last three years in the NBA. Doing it again this year is going to be coaching the West and totally deserves it. So, um, any any other comments, uh, things you're excited about All Star Weekend? Concerns? Or are you only looking forward to next Thursday and the trade deadline? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's the trade trade deadline. Uh, you know, it's nice. It's kind of weird that you know probably should be a bigger deal to me that you know it's in Cleveland. 
And, you know, it's kind of a, you know, a celebration of Cleveland of sorts in terms of the success they've had this season. But, I mean, what I really care about is we need to solve this guard problem. I mean, like, I mean, I like Goodwin and I think he has a spot and I think he deserves continual uh, a chance to continue to grow into his role or whatever. But I feel like uh, there needs to be reinforcements and I think they can be had without mortgaging the future, as you've mentioned, you know, uh, as we've talked, you know, online, offline or whatever. Uh, you know, something's got to happen and the need is clear. There's obvious avenues and, you know, Kobe, come on, man, come on, baby. You know, let's, let's earn that paycheck, baby. In the words of Ronald Reagan, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? (laughs) I love it. And then, and then the trust, but verify. I trust you, Kobe. I trust you, Kobe, but I want to verify. verify. I got to yeah. verify that we're doing the right thing. A- anything to add, Mr. Lydon? No, I'm excited that it's in Cleveland. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. I might I might go up there and stalk the streets, ticketless, and uh, chill <laughs> with some of my friends from up there. But Yeah, um, let me know when you do. Yeah, maybe, we'll do. Maybe we'll get um, a beer or something. Yeah, I'm scrambling cool. for it right now. But uh, yeah, it's, cool. it's exciting. Uh, good showcase awesome. for the city. We'll get all the tweets about how cleveland's terrible and other people saying cleveland's yeah well and we burnt through covid which is great so (laughs) there we go so we'll see (laughs) we will see but uh yeah i think we're going to get representation in in the game which is awesome it's probably going to be alan um and uh yeah i can be more proud of him yeah and i and i do think even if garland doesn't make it there'll be a you know push to get him in the skills or the the three-point contest so absolutely He's, he's, he's must watch TV, baby. Or or Adam Kevin Silver. to the I, I or Kevin to the three point. Yeah, contest. absolutely, absolutely. So uh, and we'll see Evan Mobley in the uh, Rising Stars game. Oh, we will with the oh, very man. bizarre format of the Rising Stars game. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught that, but we'll cover that. Welcome back to Cavs the podcast. So, Chris Lydon, explain to me what this uh, Rising Stars game is supposed to look like. I would if I could. It's supposed to look like an exciting basketball game, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know why they're reaching so far uh, at straws to make that happen. Um, I, I'd like to see um, some of the rising stars of the NBA play a basketball game, but that's too much or too little apparently for them. So um, there's this whole 75th anniversary angle that they're trying to work. Um, the way that I, I heard some of the guys on Wine, Wine and Gold Radio talking about it is that there are going to be graphical representations of famous shots on on the court in the in the sort of like proximate area of of where they occurred and that there's going to be some sort of a points difference for replicating those moments um, in the game so it sounds like some uh some something more suited for the the crumbling already metaverse than an actual basketball game <laughs> I can't pretend to understand it, but that's what they're going to try to do. Um, I, I can't promise that I'll be watching. I might be stumbling through the various alleys off of Euclid Avenue um, at that at that point. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's 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 uh, it's novel. I'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that I never watch it. It's always on Friday, though. And it's like, oh, I got to work usually. So um and I wonder if they're doing a celebrity game this year or not, but I kind of, it's always kind of weird. Anyway, um, 
I hate, uh, here's, here's my hot take. I hate the All-Star game. I, I love the weekend. I hate the game. Like, everybody what loves All-Star. Time. Oh, my Everybody God. loves All-Star Saturday night more than the, more than the game, right? That might be Sunday true. night, yeah, everybody's yeah, partied out true. by Sunday night anyway. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I just, you know, I don't know what it is, but, you know, like the three-point competition, you know, that's, that's all right. You know, the... The dunk contest, eh, you know. It's well, very hit or miss. Like yeah, some years yeah, it's you're good. Right. It's yeah. either like the whole dunk contest is good or the whole dunk contest is bad. Exactly. Exactly. And, and and I just don't know if you have that guy like Zach Levine or Aaron Gordon who's just a super freak and oh, so skilled. That, that was the greatest dunk contest ever when he takes the ball off the yeah. rotating uh, orbit oh, guy yeah. from the Magic. That was my favorite dunk of all time. Like, How are you going to top I've, that? I, I feel like – like, okay, here's a question. So do you feel like a Cav could be in the dunk contest this year? <laughs> because I feel like they got guys that could theoretically – like Jared Allen has had some of the best dunks of the season this year, just flying from inside the line and just throwing it down over guys. Or um, – Isaac Okoro, that Duncan Houston where he had three guys bounce That's off. who I was going to go with. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the two guys I was thinking was Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens. Is, yeah, yeah, I don't think Stevens has enough of a name. Yeah. No, but he'd be qualified from the team. Yeah. yeah. Juice. You know, if you're I was just about thinking pure athletic juice. Like, you know? I yeah. feel like Isaac Okoro should do the thing where they – Try and knock him down with the pugil sticks while he's in the air, but he still dunks it. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. American Gladiator style. You know, with my, laser my hot, and flash out there. <laughs> my hot take on this is that is that player agents choose the dunk contests. People, <laughs> it's probably and, true. And the reason yeah. why it's fallen off is LeBron didn't want to play, and therefore Clutch didn't want to play, and then the whole contest sort of fell off. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I I don't know. That's that was an all time coward move. Honestly, like d- LeBron deserves to be flamed for that. Honestly, <laughs> like he, he wants to talk about oh I, I play every game for the fans and shit. You know wh- what the hell? Man, you're a potty mouth tonight. What the hell was that? I'm sorry. I'm, okay, it, it was the second shot of tequila. I have to admit. Oh my but, lord! <laughs> but I mean, seriously though, he he's supposed to be for the fans and for the entertainment, and he never competed in a dunk contest. I, I feel like that's the that should be the move this year <laughs> because they ain't winning Ooh, anything. There you go. <laughs> of course, everybody, now you're talking. How about everybody in the dunk contest this year has to be over thirty? <laughs> Ah, nice, <laughs> nice. One for the uh, old guys. One for the yeah, old. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it for sure, and and I hope we see some calves and just the the city represents well. So, um, and with that, I think we're gonna wrap this bad boy up. Uh, when's the next calf game? Is that Wednesday? Ooh, that's a good question. And they have a pretty sustainable schedule coming up. They're in Houston. Uh. On the second of February, Wednesday. Yeah, so Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So is that Groundhog Day? I believe it is. Wow. Yeah. So is the next day and the day after that, if you're Bill Murray. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, there they'll be in Houston, H Town. To hope it's a good game because we're going to be watching it over and over again for the rest of our lives. I got you, babe. Got it. it. Yeah. Um, Anything to pitch, guys? 
Uh, the whatever Eli said, the Korean. I've got it. Yeah, I've got his. I've got his pitch. I've got the assist on that. It's a uh, a Korean drama available right now on Netflix called All of Us Are Dead, and it is a uh, it's a good old take on the zombie genre. Um, The uh, conceit here is that uh, our protagonists find themselves um, in the middle of a regular day of high school. Uh, before they're trapped. So I uh, watched the trailer. It seemed awesome. And uh, I really hope Eli can come back and uh, give us a better scoop on it because I have not seen it yet, but that's his pitch and mine as well. So I'm. it reminds me of one of my kind of guilty pleasure movies. Uh, the Faculty, if you've ever seen The Faculty, was... Uh, yeah, uh, that's an old school. That's yeah, but it's had a lot of people that have gone on to, you know, better Big careers, time. but... Very similar, except they're all aliens in this. You, the teachers are aliens right. uh, in the faculty. So, but I, I almost have an anti pitch, and that's Eternals, uh, which, if you're into Marvel movies, is to me far and away the worst one. Um, Whoa! <laughs> it, it is aptly named because the movie never ends. Um, wow! <laughs> Zing! And it's my like. It's part of my rant against, like, why does so many movies are getting close to three hours now when they don't need to be? It just feels like everybody has too much to say. And it's the it's the influence of, um, you know, this long-form television on movies that doesn't need to be there. So, you know, and the Batman's coming out this month and... That hour supposed that movie's supposed to be two hours and forty five minutes. So, I'm 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 anti. You know, here's my pitch: edit your damn movies. You know, <laughs> tell right. a story in in two hours or less. You know, this ain't Shakespeare. <laughs> it's That's a right. it's a comic book movie. That's right. <laughs> well, so. here's my pitch. One 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 pitch is who day baby who day who day. Bengals to the, the Bengals have made it to the Super Bowl since for the first time in holy shit thirty three years. It's been thirty three years. Hey, and the first member of Cavs Twitter on the uh, on Super Bowl quarterback first first Cavs Twitter Super Bowl quarterback. So there we go. There we go. There we go. So exactly, exactly. Yes, you saw the pictures, right? Exactly. So. You know, shout out to Joe Burrow. He's a Cavs fan. Shout out to you. Uh, you know, ultimate winner. You know, Ohio produces nothing but winners. So that that's the pitch. There you go. Um, and we will see you Wednesday night in Houston. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go baby. Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blog Podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 
96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.